Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. We are in an action-packed chapter again. We have been journeying through the book of Galatians, and last week was... Last week was a jam-packed week. It was one of our longer sessions we've had in a while. Yeah. Make that, but you know, some good theology there. Some, some really, really, really pivotal theology I here. Mean, for there, there's a lot of theology just going through the book of Galatians. I mean, there really is. And now we're actually really getting to just almost pure theology and very minimal narrative like that we had earlier on. Yeah. Yeah, chapter one, there was Lisa's story. And this is, mm-hmm. there's tensions and there's struggles. But man, this is... It, it's hard to believe that that last week's lesson in terms of theology could be topped, but this this is actually deeper and really yeah. I mean, it's good stuff. Yeah. All right, so we have to we have to journey forth here tonight. So let me open a word of prayer, and we will start. We're in Galatians chapter three. God, we, we thank you for this time. I thank you for my, my my good friend Professor D here, and the honor I have to journey alongside him. And have this conversation. We just pray for all those who are listening right now and who are maybe for the first time in their life actually seriously going through the book of Galatians. And it's just one of those books of the Bible that you know it's there because it's in the first in a long list of those little epistles that Paul wrote. And but maybe we haven't spent much time there, but we're spending the time now. And this is some some really, really good theology and some very applicable things. And, and honestly. These people, Lord, were going through a, a really difficult, tense situation that affected their identity and their identity in Christ. And we're so glad that that, that Paul wrote this letter, that the Holy Spirit, you, you inspired this. And we just thank you for this time we have tonight. We pray that our conversation pleases you and is faithful to your text. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. That's just, these poor Galatian people are the Christians who are brand new to Christ and they're being... They're just being hit by outside an outside influence. They might have been an inside influence. Yeah. The, these this Judaizer group that's saying they had to become become like Moses or become like Jews or focus on the external things before they could really be Christians. And it's really hitting at the heart of what it means to belong to Christ. And well, here we go. We're in cha- verses one to five. We're in we're in chapter three of Galatians, and Paul just doesn't hold back right from the beginning. And he's going to ask he's going to ask a series of questions in the text here and we'll have our questions as well. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Wow. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? My goodness. So, Professor D., what was Paul's issue here to use such strong words as foolish and bewitching? What's going on with Paul? Well, here's the problem. They had received the one true gospel. I, I, I even hate the fact that we have to say one true gospel there's only one. Uh, and now they were allowing these Judaizers to, to alter it by, by adding to it and essentially contradicting the grace of God. 
Mm. I mean, it, it, it's a contradiction of God's grace, free gift, earning, doing, building on. Yeah, he kept mentioning two things. Is there some kind of an either-or going on here? Yeah, the big problem is you, you, this is either going to be something that you're completely relying on God, and he mentions the, the Spirit, so it's, you, you receive the Spirit by grace through faith, and, or you're depending on, on what you're doing, which is basically, again, if it's what, what you're doing, it's not the gospel, because the gospel is that God did it all, and there's nothing we could do anyways. Mm. Yeah, I really, I really like make your your use of the word rely there. I think I think that is that is key, um, and he's gonna he's gonna, I think he's gonna go back there. I think he's in like verse ten or eleven somewhere yeah. down there. He's gonna hit yeah. that again. When I journey with, um, with, with with some of my counseling, my counselees, I and they and they have an issue with with with, with faith. I ask them to go find a frog in their house somewhere, yeah. not not like a living frog, but you know, especially if they have kids. Do you have a stuffed animal frog? And I love that acronym. F R O G, fully rely on God, mm. and that is seems to be the the, the tension here. Yeah, is the this other influence or the, this, they're 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 technically called the Judaizers, but this this Jewish influence influencing the Christians that are giving a separate gospel. Are they asking the Galatians to rely on their own efforts? Instead of just on God, could could God be not enough in their eyes that you have to rely now on you too? That's essentially what it is. And really, at, at the core of it, what, what is Judaizing is really, think about it, it's a humanist philosophy. Mm. It depends on the goodness of humans. And, and they miss the point of the gospel. Again, that's the negative aspect of the gospel is that we are sinners. You know, that we are totally depraved at that. And that we're hopeless. Outside of God, we are hopeless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and this is Paul. Paul keeps bringing to their mind here that hey, they've already known this gospel, and mm -hmm. they that it's all been it's all been presented to them. This is all very public stuff, and yeah. what they've received and what what they have, and and this is about God's work, not about their work. And he just kind of goes. He keeps asking these questions. You know, bang, 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 and. Did you suffer so many things in vain? Was it vain? I mean, if this is if you're gonna trust in God, then all of a sudden you're gonna trust in you. What 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 what's the point there? I mean, right. well, I I can't trust in both. And yeah, it's like it's either about doing by I like I like how he ends it here in verse five. Works of the law, hearing and faith. My goodness. So so make according to Paul here. What does the spirit do and continue to do that fleshly pursuits can't do it or human effort? Why is it about the spirit's effort? What does he continue? What does he do? And what does he continue to do that I have no chance of doing? I think the big thing that the Spirit does is, is the Spirit perfects us. It's, that's what it says right there in the... Uh, where, what verse is this here? I'm losing track here. So is it verse 3, being perfected by the flesh? Yes, there you go. We're, so he's arguing with the flesh. But, so the Spirit perfects us. In other words, obviously the flesh is not perfecting. It's the Spirit who does that. Mm. So that, that is what the, the Spirit does. The Spirit is the one that is, that is helping us, you know, per perfecting. In other words, He's bringing us to maturities. He help, he's helping us grow. And one of the key things to understand here is that a lot of times, I think a lot of Christians, and I'm talking about legitimately saved good Christians, sometimes confuse the issue that grace is only needed in the justification aspect of salvation mm. and, and sanctification somehow falls on us. And I think that that, that is a great disservice to what the gospel is. This passage here, this chapter here is going to tell us that 
both justification and grace and really even glorification all depends on the Holy Spirit and not us. I love it. So what I'm hearing you say is if a person is a Christian, is that because of their works or God's work? It's completely God's work. Uh, J.D. Greer, I think, is, is the guy whom, I, whom I've heard say this. A lot of times we think it's just the, the, uh, the jumping board of the pool that, that is, is, is grace. And it's the, the truth of the matter is the pool itself. Mm. It's the whole pool, everything. And so, and I heard you use some fun theological words, justification and sanctification. Yeah. Okay, so Paul mentions here about being perfected. So being, so he's mentioning, okay, you are saved and now that God is kind of bringing you on this theological journey mm -hmm. to be more like Jesus and less yeah. like you. Okay, that's how he can say, I've been yeah. crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Okay, but Christ lives. Okay, so now... The life I live in the body is not my own. Okay, so does that mean that the Holy Spirit now... So you answer the question that the Holy Spirit is the one who's responsible for you being a Christian. Mm -hmm. Is it God's work now also to bring me further along, to sanctify me, to draw me closer to Him, as to, to grow in Christ, however He puts it here? Yeah. Is that God's work as well? Yeah. That is God who does it. All we do... And I'm going to go to Jesus' illustration of, of the vine and the branches. All the branches... All the branch does is stay connected to the vine. Mm. That's all. If, we, if you want to call it a do, I'm using air quotes here, that's all we do. We stay connected to God. And I love, I love the doctrine of sanctification because that is, because when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, I can't do anything at all. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're discussing here, right. is there's nothing I bring to the table except the sin. Yeah. Okay. But I like what the doctrine of sanctification it's not a partnership with God, as in God's, God needs me, mm -hmm. but it gives me an opportunity to, so use, to use the example of bearing fruit, of, of being in the vine. Yeah. Jesus, you know, so I in the vine, you are the branches. Okay, so this is John 15. Jesus still expects the, 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 what is remaining in the vine to bear fruit. Yeah. So he's expecting you and I to bear fruit. So there is something that we do do, but it's not my effort. Anything I'm able to do in Christ, I'm doing it because of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, and if anything, I mean, I, I would even say that we're using the word do here, but it's more what we allow. Because God wants to do something in our lives, again, with the justification and the sanctification. But a lot of times, well, we interfere. The only thing we really do is either interfere or yield. Either we allow Him to work in us or, or we, we put forth our effort. You know, and... Um, mm. I have, I don't want to go too much into Abraham because I think this is the story of Abraham's life. You know, when did God finally start fulfilling his promises to Abraham? And we will be with Abraham today. And we will. But God started fulfilling his promises to Abraham when Abraham stopped doing it in his own power. If you notice, Abraham tried doing a lot of things in his own power and that delayed, mm -hmm. in a manner of speaking, the promises that God was trying to fulfill through Abraham. I'll, I'll give a, a very brief example. God told Abraham, I want you to leave everything behind, just you and your wife. And what does he do? He takes his father and his nephew with him. Mm. And then you're wondering why there's a delay in, in the promise being fulfilled. That That's on Abraham. So to, to get back briefly to the Spirit, that tells me that I'm only saved because the Holy Spirit has done a work in my heart. Mm-hmm to lead me to that moment yeah. and to, to draw me. Okay, I only remain saved. I only remain, I'm, I'm on this journey. I stay on this journey. It's like if the Father, if, if God still expects me to bear fruit, 
And he expects me to be faithful if I need to pursue holiness. And there, there's something I need to do that I need to pursue. He's expecting my faithfulness. Yeah. But with that said, on my own, I will never be able to do it. Yeah. I will never be faithful. I will never choose God over choosing me. The mm-hmm. only way I could ever obey God, the only way I could ever pursue what is holy is if I'm obedient. Yes. And so... A lot of our listeners are saying, boy, I haven't seen victory in this. And I mean, we work with Celebrate Recovery. We love that mm-hmm. ministry. And there's a lot of people are, who are like, boy, I just want to see victory. I want to see victory. And I don't I don't know if victory is the right word uh, versus obedience. Yeah. And I, like we were talking about with Abraham, because Abraham obeyed. And he trusted God. He's yeah. going to get there. But he was obedient. And yeah. when he wasn't obedient, that's when the troubles came. Yeah. And the, the hardships. And for those of us listening to this, this is not about my efforts. If this is about my efforts, then I don't need to trust God. I don't need to obey God. It's about me and what I can do. But if this is about what God is doing in me, that tells me that God's still expecting my faithfulness. Yeah. But he then provides the power to be faithful. He's the one who's making this able. Otherwise, I'm totally unable on my own to do it. I mean, I I like to to use this illustration. My kids, they couldn't buy me anything when they were smaller. Mm -hmm. Somehow I got Father's Day's gifts. Okay? What was it? Obviously, it was my money they were getting. Now, here's the thing. They had to decide what to get me with the money that, you know, my wife Mm. is giving to the kids. But at the end of the day, it was my money. Now, the interesting thing is always to see what the kid will ultimately do with that money once it's handed to them. That's what what we're seeing here. But in the end, it's kind of the same thing with us. Us being faithful to God is God has given us his resources, his, the the capacity of faith and everything that, every good gift that we have from him. He wants to see what we do with it. Mm. Well, and that's a great start here. We are going to verses 6 to 9 next. And he goes to Abraham. So just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it was it is, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Wow. I can imagine verse 7 just being mind-blowing to any Jewish reader mm-hmm. who would say, wait a minute, the sons of Abraham are because of lineage. Mm. They're because of ancestry. Yeah. Like, this is 23andMe or Ancestry.com. By the way, they're not sponsored. We have no sponsors. <laughs> but... This is about ancestry, and no, Paul or shoot a bomb across the bow here. No, this is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So right away, so our first question in this section, Professor D, how does Abraham serve as a good example for the Galatians to hear? Bottom line, Abraham believed and was saved, and this was unconditionally. It doesn't tell us anything that Abraham did. All it says is he believed. And, and, and before somebody gets kind of smart out, he, oh, there, he's believing, he's doing something. No, we're talking about meritorious actions, mm. meritorious things. This is not a merit thing. It wasn't like he had a resume he was waving. This is not something he's earning, correct. This, this is, believing is an action of receiving. That, that is different than an, an action that, that is meritorious, that you're mm. earning something. So all he did was believe. That's, that's a, and we're getting it straight, he's quoting it straight from the Old Testament. Mm. Yeah, well, I've, the ne- next question I have is, uh, I've already answered it. What, what really provides the link to Abraham? Is it, uh, is it following God here or is it responding with faith or 
Um, becoming, okay, here it is. Becoming externally like a Jew or responding with faith? Absolutely, responding with faith is far more important. Because you have the Judaizers telling these Gentile Christians, you have to now become more like a yeah. Jew, and then, then you'll be accepted as part of this family tree kind of thing. Yeah spiritually and paul is saying not at all no and, and, and you know and something funny that we for, i think we both forgot to mention also is that typically the judaizers their go-to guy is moses mm. and i think paul is super clever here going to obviously a guy who they would never deny which is father abraham and going straight to him because father abraham illustrates this all the more clear mm. he was around before the law was around and he was already blessed by God in an unconditional fashion. So what's this deal about the, 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 the scripture preaching the gospel or the God would God would God preach the gospel beforehand, the scripture foreseeing this? What what's going on there with Abraham in terms of God's promise to Abraham? I guess it sounds like that promise has quite a scope that, yeah. that, that goes beyond just you know, your kid will have that kid, and 22 million generations later, there's going to be this this gigantic family tree. Yeah. Is there something else going on there with this? I think that um, the big thing is, and, and we've seen this, in, especially in the Gospels, there were things that were taught in the Old Testament that until the New Testament happened, until Jesus came onto the scene, was not clearly understood. Hmm. One that I always like to, to use as an illustration is when, when Jesus is reading the scroll and he stops right before the word and. And right there, he's making a commentary that while we, when we read it, the natural reading in the Old Testament is that these events happen back to back like right away. Jesus stops it right there because as the author, he knows and he's the, he's the best commentator for these things. Paul here being led by the Holy Spirit is now especially in light of the fact that they're living in the reality of Jesus, he's able to comment on this in a way that, mm. look, I bet you Paul knew this all his life. You're going to tell me that he wasn't familiar with Genesis 12, 3 all his life? Mm. But his understanding was different now because now he had encountered Jesus. Right? Might be rather, blowing Paul's mind right now. Right, yeah. Rather, Jesus encountered him. Jesus encountered him. Now his understanding had been altered mm. because now he sees the truth in a way that God wants him to see it. And, and the part of the initial promise included the Gentiles all along. Again, Genesis 12, 3, it says, other people are going to be blessed. Mm. In other words, this is outside of Israel. So, so, so launch with that, Mick. How do you, how do the Gentiles having this kind of faith fulfill that promise to Abraham? Especially these Galatian Gentiles reading this. And how do they, having faith, fulfill the scriptural promise that all the nations will be blessed? Um... If I'm understanding your question correctly, basically they are putting their faith in God just like Abraham did. Mm. They are believing in, I, I don't want to get, I guess part of it is I'm kind of holding back because I know we're going to hit this down the road in this particular chapter once mm. we get to the offspring portion of it, and as Paul will explain it. So well, I don't, well, the real only reason I'm asking is Paul, Paul's linking this to the gospel. It's not, mm. it's not just about your lineage, it's about now this is the gospel. Yeah. So that there's going to be something and he's going to... He's going to now, as you know, Paul's going to rabbinically unpack that. Yeah. But just right now. Well, he's showing that this has roots in the Old Testament. Yeah. And that's the real thing there. He's showing that this is not something that we Christians, you know, uh, constructed or confabulated or anything like that. That this has been the, the, the truth of God all along. The only difference was now we understand it. And back then we didn't. It's amazing to think that I, as a Gentile believer. Mm hmm. 
could could now trace my spiritual roots to Abraham. Yeah. And it almost sounds unfair to have, you know, to have a Jewish believer friend to be able to say, well, I go back to Father Abraham. Well, you know what? Spiritually, so do I now. Yeah. So this is all about my effort. Yeah. Then I can't claim that. Yeah. But it, but there's still, it, you know, the God we praise is, is Abraham's God too. Yes. And so his plan is at work. So I love that. I, I love what Paul is building here oh, yeah. that we're going to unpack. And you've got to imagine, for those of you who are like, well, what's the deal? Well, just imagine you're in the Galatian church and you're the one going through this and you're feeling the pressure. Yeah. We don't like it when people argue with us on social media. Could you imagine them calling everything about your faith a lie or not good enough right. and you now have to do this or do that? And my goodness, we saw that in the last two, you know, couple of years where some Christians wanted to wear masks, others did not. Yeah. And, you know, both sides are pointing fingers going, well, you've got to trust God or you're not trusting God. or And it's just calling people and pe churches are dividing over things about what what's happening in the political landscape and people are calling to question you know the gospel back and forth i, I mean we're, we're feeling a taste of that somehow yeah. but here it's like you're not good enough of a christian at your core yeah because you haven't now added these things to your faith yeah and that so what you have jesus is not enough and that that's the temptation of what they're receiving it's why paul has to fight so hard about the gospel here right and i think another important thing to mention here is that um you know with that initial promise from Genesis chapter 12, both it shows us that both Abraham and Israel were conduits to God's salvation and blessings. Mm. That's great. Yeah. Oh, so wow. he's showing us right there that the purpose of Israel was to lead Gentiles to God. Yeah, and, and the idea of, you know, be a light to the Gentiles, being mm -hmm. Isaiah, I mean, there's... This whole the purpose of being a, an Old Testament Jew was not to have your Jewishness. Yeah. It was it was about eventually to be a light to yeah. the Gentiles. Like somewhere down the line, Gentiles were part of God's plan right yeah. from the beginning. I mean, the whole idea of God's chosen people was to lead other people to God. Mm, I love it. All right, ten to fourteen. This is good. This is good for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Oh. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Wow. So in verse 10, Mick, how does the word rely help our focus here? Rely tells us, um, is what are you dependent on, is, is the question it really poses. So in what is our confidence for salvation? Right. And when I mean salvation, again, justification and sanctification, the whole chimichanga here you know everything you know yeah if, if i'm either going to rely on the works of the law or mm -hmm. so human effort or i'm going to rely on can yeah. we say god's effort god's purposes or yeah i mean it, it is god's work you know and again this goes back to verses two and three of earlier when we were reading you know where we receive the spirit by faith and we are perfected by the spirit this is everything to do with salvation now he mentions a curse here. In fact, I even said, mm. I, I remember mm -hmm. reacting as I read it. Yeah. What is this curse of the law that Paul unpacks, and how would it affect the Galatians? I mean, well, I, I think this is really cool because one of the things that Paul's doing in this particular section, 
Um, for anybody who's who's doing Bible study on their own, and just all you got to do, it's not even about having a concordance or or anything or, or a commentary. Just even just look at your your footnotes. Notice that Paul is deliberately picking passages out of Deuteronomy, and it's not an accident that he's doing it. I mean, this is kind of the law book within the five law books, the great pastoral book of Moses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and he's quoting from uh, Deuteronomy twenty seven twenty six. That no one, you know, that no one can keep it, if unless you can keep the law completely. Mm. In other words, everything and then everything's in there for a reason. You're under a curse. That is, nobody can keep it completely. So everybody's under that curse. So how would that affect the Galatians who are facing this either or? The the, the either I'm going to fully rely on God's effort or I'm going to rely They're being on my reminded. efforts. They're being reminded no one can keep it. So we can't. You can't rely on your no, efforts. No, you can't. Because your efforts aren't going to. It's just going to make you. It's Mission Impossible. You wow. want to talk about the real Mission Impossible? That's Mission Impossible. Believe me, I've tried living. First mm. of all, let, let's, let's, let, let me even backtrack a little bit. I already made mistakes that any trying afterwards, it's already imperfect because I already started off with so mm. many imperfections before I even started trying. Wow. So, and then the fact that even, okay, well, let's say, well, let's pretend that, you know, we clean off the pre-part. Since my trying, I have never successfully been able to live the Christian life in my own power. Mm. I could never do anything to really get it right with God. I, I, I am forced to come to the realization that I am completely and utterly dependent on G what Jesus did. So what hope do we have? How does Christ redeem them? From Jesus the is the law? hope. Jesus is the hope because basically he mm. took it upon himself. He took that curse upon himself. He was mm. the one that hung on that tree. And he took that curse. And he kept the entire law. Yeah. Because he had no sin. That's right. So he was the one who was able to take that curse yeah. and to bear it. And we mentioned this last week that when, when people accused him, oh, well, he didn't keep the Sabbath. Look at that. First of all, that was never part of the, the Sabbath law. That was the add-ons that, mm. that they had put around it. So that was already, they were already tripping themselves up as it were. Jesus never broke the Sabbath. Jesus observed every aspect of the law perfectly. And Jesus is the only person who was able to do that. So the good news for the Gentiles is they can receive Abraham's blessing. So mm -hmm. how? On what do they receive this blessing? And is it because it's just coming off of, of 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 Christ redeeming us from the curse? So then verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing yeah. of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Which, by the way, every Jewish and just Jewish reader would be going, excuse me. Yeah. How can that blessing ever come to the, to, to the Gentiles? That blessing comes to us. That's our national blessing. That's yeah. us. That is our people group's blessing. That is the only thing that we have is that blessing. And now you're telling me that our Roman overlords, they get that blessing too? <laughs> How do they get that blessing? On what basis? We're all Abraham's children if we believe. So, and and Jesus, Jesus took care of it. Faith. Yeah, faith. That, that's it. So that in Christ Jesus might come to the Gentiles... So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Faith in Jesus and nothing else. How that must have sounded to Paul's Galatian readers here. Mm -hmm. What they're up against. To know that the faith that they have, not only is all they have, it's all they need. Yeah. It's all they can have. Yeah. And to add anything else to that is just going to take them off track. And if this is all about God's efforts, then what do my efforts have to add to it? To my salvation, I I I can't. No, nothing. There's just no, there's absolutely nothing. nothing we can do to it. And 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 I and I've, and I've seen that more and more in my life. The closer I get to God, 
the more I realize how sinful I actually am. Mm. And I think that that is part of what all our journeys should be like. And uh, I think Paul's a great example of that because he writes that he is the chief of sinners in, in Timothy, which was written towards the end of his life. I like what you brought up earlier, Meg. The righteous, what it used to sound like was the righteous would live by the law. Instead now, since that's impossible, yeah. the righteous live by faith. And yeah. really, your faith is in, is in perfect Jesus mm-hmm. who did live the law yeah. and who did not have to die for his own sins, but yeah. instead died for us. He was cre- he took our curse. Yeah. He hung on that tree in our place. Yeah. And so then our faith, so when we trust in him alone for salvation, we're not trusting on our work, we're trusting on his. Yeah. And yeah, that this, this is mind-blowingly awesome. This either-or affects your entire walk with Christ. Because if you're trying to rely things, oh listener, on your own efforts, if this is all about you, and what you accomplish and what you can... Then or if you, any part of it is on you, not even all of it on you, <laughs> any part of it is on any you. Part. Yes, all oh, this is good. All right, 15 to 18, Paul's going to take us deeper and deeper. i got to turn my page here, pardon me. Uh, to give a human example, Paul writes, Brothers, even with the man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, Referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came, I'm going to 18. But the law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Well, my goodness. So, Paul, uh, uh, Mick, excuse me, how does Paul use grammar here to make his point about Jesus? Well, he stresses the singular that, it, you know, if you read it carefully, it said offspring or seed, depending on the translation you have, and that that was indicative that it was going to be one, the one. And and, and when you consider uh, Genesis 3.15, it makes sense, the one. And this is yet another development of the one to come. Mm. So it makes sense if you read the Gospels and if you have more of a Jewish uh, cultural lean, you would kind of see Jesus as like the the, the, the the perfect Jew. Yeah. The one who was the Jew of Jews. Yes. The one who was literally, so you could see then how he would then qualify mm-hmm. as the offspring. Yeah. The one that, if, if, if Paul has this all figured out correctly, put to us, and of course he does, it's the Holy Spirit authoring this, that that means that Jesus uniquely qualified to be that seed, that yeah. offspring, but we're writing about this. So he uniquely fulfills that Abrahamic promise. And so everything rises and falls on yeah. Jesus. I mean, and when you look at the narrative of Genesis, and I think this is a really cool thing. The promise is made in Genesis 3.15 when it's Adam and Eve. You know, there was going to be a coming seed. This is pre-Abraham. This mm. is pre-Jewish nation. Here we have Abraham in the earliest stages of, of the formation. Of there the was Jewish no Gentile nation. at that point. Yeah, everybody pretty much was a Gentile at this point. <laughs> you know? Now, all of a sudden, you see that... This, in other words, it's about the concept of the Messiah is not just that the Messiah is the Savior of the Jews. It's that he's the Savior of the world. It's kind of the difference between the Gospel of, of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew emphasizes the Jewishness of Jesus, where Luke, when he goes into the genealogy of Jesus, he takes it all the way back to Adam mm. to show... That the Messiah really is tied to the whole human race. 
and that this Messiah that's tied to the whole human race was going to come through the Jewish nation. Now, these verses kind of just take us into the weeds a bit. Mick, what is, what is Paul's point here about the covenants and annulling? What's yeah, he talking about? Yeah, it gets a bit tricky. So one of the things that we need to understand is that in the Bible, God has made several covenants. I'm, a, I'm just going to stick it with like that. We're going to, for simplicity's sake, covenants. He makes several packs with people. One of the things is the covenant that he made with Abraham, first of all, it predates the one that he did with Moses by 400 plus years. Secondly, and probably more importantly, the covenant that, that God did with Abraham was completely unconditional. There was no strings, no nothing attached. Mm. It was a, I'm getting ahead here, but again, it is a, a one-party covenant. And that was God. God alone made it. This is why God alone faithfully fulfills it all the way. It was just a promise. Yeah, it was a promise. But, you know, we're going to call it a covenant, though, because that's that's what Paul's kind of uh, yeah. going with here. So we're going to call that promise a covenant. So, but that covenant has only everything to do with God and nothing to do with Abraham. Abraham is just the recipient of it. That's it. Uh, the, 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 the Mosaic covenant comes later, but it comes with conditions about these are the conditions for you to have these blessings to stay in the land. And he even tells them, you guys are not going to do it and this is going to happen later. He tells me, I said before you, life and death, choose life. Yeah. You know, blessings and curses. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so the yeah. fact is that, that because that first one is unconditional, that means that there's nothing anyone can do to know it. So did Jesus make Abraham's promise void or canceled? Oh, no. He actually fulfills it. Mm. Again, he's that offspring. He's the fulfillment of, of, of Abraham's promise. It does not well, annul I mean Abraham's promise. The promise given to Abraham, previously ratified by God, and yeah, uh, the inheritance. For if inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. So basically, if your only hope is linked to Moses, mm -hmm. then you're not linking it to what God told mm -hmm. to Abraham before Moses. Yeah. Bottom line, you're screwed. And, yeah, and and Christ is. That offspring, because he says that offspring, who is Christ? Yes. And so that would have also blown the mind of every Jewish reader. Going, yeah. wait a minute, I thought we were one of his offspring. No, no, no. Yeah. Not one of. It's like the. It's like the no. singular. So yes. it's like, all right, so this is Christ. Who's the only one that can qualify as Abraham's offspring? There he is. And so that makes this more, it doesn't make the law unimportant, no. but it makes it incomplete to save you. Yes. You, you can't truly have hope. Just with the law, you need to go back prior to the law. You need that first promise to Abraham. I mean, bottom line is we have to look that there are purposes for these things. The law is a tool. It's an instrument of God. But it was never meant as, as a saving tool. Mm -hmm. It is meant for something else. And we'll get down to that in, in, a, in a little bit later in this text. So to truly be, an inherit, to truly be part of the inheritance of God here, it goes back to... The great either or. Yeah. If it's if it's about relying upon my own works, then that would tie more to Moses. Mm -hmm. As in, I got to keep the law perfectly, then I'll be one yeah. of God's people. If it if it relies completely on God's activity, then it rely goes back to Abraham's promise, and God's promise to Abraham is covenant with Abraham, that it all hinges on how I now interact with His seed, the the Christ. I mean Jesus. Yeah. It all comes down to Jesus, and so I. It doesn't with Jesus. It, nothing about us matters. 
in that I have to work, I have to work. Yeah. No, it's all about receiving him by faith. Yeah. So if everything goes back to Jesus, or goes back to Abraham and not to Moses, if it goes back to Moses and maybe I can be good enough yeah. and maybe I can follow the law enough, this could be about my efforts. But if this goes back to Abraham, it sounds like that it goes back the promise to his seed, Christ. Mm. Now I either receive him by faith or I don't receive him by faith. Yeah. And my works don't bring anything to the table at all with regards to my salvation. Right. Whatever hope I may have. And so I like that larger point he's making with Abraham yeah. here. Because he's grounding all of this as deep as he can go back in their history. Yeah. And this is this is good. I mean, this is this this either or is still at the center. Is he I I'm either gonna fully rely on God or I'm gonna rely on myself. And and, and I think this is the great struggle of the Christian walk. Amen. And I, I and what what stinks is we want to do a buffet approach. We want to say, well, I'll rely for God for this, but you know this one's on me, and I'm going to rely upon my own efforts. And then all of a sudden, I'm backsliding or yeah. I'm stuck in the weeds of an addiction or something. When it, yeah. it's kind of like spiritually saying, I've got this. Yeah. No, that's that's you've never got this. On your own, you have no hope. On your own, that's why. Uh, we have Jesus, and we, we fully rely upon him. Amen. All right, so 19 it's to 20. There, yeah. Why then the law? Yes, why? <laughs> why then the law? It was added because of, of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one. But God is one. So we have here... First of all, the negative purpose of the law. What's the negative purpose the negative of the law? The negative purpose makes? of the law is really to highlight sin, to call it out, mm. to show it for what it is. That way you have no excuse. Um, I, I, I kind of think of the, the illustration, you know, you, when we make sometimes rules in the house, it's usually because the kids are doing something they, they shouldn't be doing. And mm. all we, we do is we make a rule so that way it's clear. Uh, example, we usually have more with the rule is that they're not supposed to have the, the phone in their rooms or... They're not supposed to be on their phones past 10 o'clock, as mm. an example kind of thing. Um, and we, we did this because they were already violating that, that condition. So it's like, now we made it a formal rule. Mm -hmm. So that means now you understand it. Now we can actually punish you more directly for it. Because now it's, it's stated out in the open. Mm. For those of you re are listening right now, you might say, well, how does the law reveal my sin? Well, I invite you. Read the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And you probably find yourself saying, well, I broke that one. Yep, I broke that one. I, I haven't kept that one. Well, yeah, that's the purpose of the law, to point out the fact that you are a lawbreaker. Yeah. That's really all it can do. Yeah. So it has a negative purpose. It has yeah. this, this negative purpose of, well, it just reveals that I'm, I'm, I'm toast. Yeah. That I have no hope. Yeah, it shows us how perfect God is and, mm -hmm. and, and by contrast, how the contrary we are. So if my hope is trying to be on fulfilling this, well, I, I, from the beginning, I'm done. Yeah. I've got no hope. So there's a negative purpose of the law. And we learn here that there was a temporal nature. Though. What was, the t was there some kind of a timeline? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, that was the thing. Uh, so the thing with the law is that it temporarily dealt with sin. It was kind of a placeholder. And part of the reason it was a placeholder is because it, it gave the sacrifice system as a, as a, as a placeholder until Jesus came to deal with it permanently. So it's like, if, you, if I could put it in these terms, we were saved by credit through, through the sacrifices, which also kind of point to the fact that we God knew we weren't going to be able to keep it perfectly. So we were saved, if you will, by, by credit, by the sacrifices, by trusting that God would forgive us in, in, in doing so. Again, it still comes back to faith. 
mm. until Jesus came to deal with it perfect permanently. Yeah, because he mentions here until the offspring should come. He's already mm-hmm. said who the offspring yeah. is, Christ. Yeah. So until he comes in salvation history, then the law is what's there. Yeah. And, and that's what that's all we have now in order to interact with God. And we, we realize that because of the law, we, we have no hope outside of God. Because our, if our hope is found in ourselves, well, we're, we're screwed. You know, well, we to, can't to, do it. To quote the famous Big Rev, you know, we're, we're crispy critters. We're crispy critters, <laughs> yeah. We can't do it on our own. So the law points us to a dire need for a salvation that we can't provide. Yeah. That we can't accomplish. And if, if you really take the law at face value, not only do you recognize that you're a sinner... But you recognize how direly in need you are of a savior. And we also have to understand God can't grade on a curve. Mm. Yeah. It's that, Well, you know, I'm gonna go by the best human being to walk around. So I'm gonna have to go by Daniel or Joseph and you know, and then grade everybody based on no, this, that's just not the way it is. God is himself mm. holy. He cannot allow for sin to to be undealt with. Now I don't remember, you know, and this must have been something that Paul's culture had had as, has something, something about angels as an intermediary, and, and what what was this business about an intermediary here in verses, uh, in end of verse nineteen and, and yeah, verse twenty? That was a bit, uh, that was a bit funky. Bottom line is, there's middle people in there. <laughs> there's there were messengers who were working on some of these things. There were middlemen who dealt. For, if you look at how he dealt with Abraham. It was God one-on-one with Abraham. There is no middleman there. Now, when God is dealing with Israel, he's dealing, sure, through Moses, but Moses is serving kind of as a middleman between God and the people of Israel. Um, and even if, let's say, you know, including angels as intermediaries, you know, angels really means messengers anyways, when you get down to it. So the idea is that when he's dealing with these other covenants, He's not dealing with it directly. He's dealing with it either by sending an angel to give forth the message or, or, or in the usual case of Israel, directly through Moses, but Moses serving as the intermediary. Bottom line is, it's not God who's directly doing it. Yeah, and, and I think I remember reading that the, the, the Jews of Paul's day believed that the law was given through the angels, and they based upon that about something that was kind of a lesser way to look at something I'm, I'm trying to look it up real quick in Deuteronomy I couldn't find it yeah. the idea that Moses himself was making a poetic point that the law was given through the angels and, and something they, they were administering or something like that but by Paul's day that had, that had taken wings as it were and yeah. they were like the law so, so no now pun intended, no right? pun intended I maybe maybe it's intended but, but okay so that so, so Paul's point then would be something like well then you've got Moses is already an intermediary Right there, because you needed Moses to mediate the law and for the people. Okay, so that was someone God put in place there. And now you believe angels as well? So wait a minute. God is one, and someone greater than them uh, was put in place your angel. Okay, and it implies more than one. So, so I think the, the point that Paul might be making here is that, hold on here. You want to talk about mediators and intermediaries? Yeah. Fine. But now we have something put before you. What was put through Abraham, there's something greater. Yeah. Something more profound than what came through Moses. I think this is also great evidence to show that if anybody doubts that this was written when it was written in the first century, the fact that there's such a heavy emphasis on angels mm. is something that was very big in, in inter- intertestamental time for the Jews. Mm. And again, we see this in the book of Jude. We see this in the book of Hebrews. You know, you really don't see a lot of angel talk in the Old Testament per se. But a lot of that really 
you know, angels became very popular in that intertestamental period. And the fact that this is right on the heels of that in the first century goes to show you that this is just kind of from a, from a nerd studying the Bibles about this being something that was definitely written in that first century. You could also read verse 20 as kind of like a, a backdoor way to claim that Christ is divine. Yeah. Because if you take a 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 at face value, mm. it says, now we have one mediator between God and man, yeah. Christ Jesus. So now there's one, so that's the only other time here we're getting mediators here, yeah. intermediaries. Okay, so if Christ is that one mediator, fully God, fully man, but God is one, so that tells me that God can be his own mediator. That God, God, he, God needs no second person That's in right. there. There doesn't need to be a high priest. Right. There doesn't need to be any kind of a priest, anyone to mediate things for yeah. you. Is that we have one mediator, but he's also God. Yes. And so it's a very Trinitarian well, it's, it, principle. It, it, it's the best mediator you can have, God himself. Exactly. So that I, so Paul doesn't quite go there here, but he hints at it. Yeah. So if you, if you read a first, a first Timothy 2, which would be a later work than here than Galatians, but you would read that and go, ah, oh, I get it. So whenever you would read 1 Timothy 2, you're like, yes, that's Galatians 3. Mm -hmm. That's exactly yeah. what he was talking about. We finally get the name. So he's linking this, this promise to, to the offspring, Christ. Yes. And he's divine. He's God. And again, this is a very big deal because remember in chapter 1, he said, even if an angel came to you with a different mm. gospel. Amen. So we have to remember and keep that in, in mind too. Even if an angel came to you with something. Awesome. Uh, right there, it's telling us that forget about the angel. This is the best an angel can be. So God's oneness is the trump card here. Yeah. Because if God is one with this, then there's no, he doesn't need yeah. me. He doesn't need anyone's mediation. He doesn't need anyone's efforts. This is all about God yeah. and God's will and God's efforts in my life and in your life right. and these Galatian Christians' life. It's like God's the one who's at work here. Yeah. And not this is not, you know, one of those construction signs saying men at work. No, this is God at work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is it. It's Yeah, it's it's God alone who's responsible for the promise. It only depends on him, not mm. Abraham. Only depends on him. The law involved God keeping his end and man keeping his end. So you got a party system going on there, you know? And by the way, guess who defaulted on that one? <laughs> you know. I, but more correctly, and, and one of the things I also want to make sure that our that our listeners understand is that we're not doing something where we're casting promise versus law. The truth is, they do not go, they're not in the same uh, ring, so mm. to speak. Because it's not a question of, of, of the promise versus the law. It's, it's promise versus laws, if, if we're going to talk about as the means of salvation, then yes. It, it, but the truth of the matter is that the promise and laws have different functions. They have different applications. What's funny you mentioned that? Verse 21. Right. Verse 21 to 24. It is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness, righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then... The law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Well, my goodness, how? Or so let's. How <laughs> does Paul? Verse twenty-one, where he says, "Absolutely not." Absolutely not. I'm like thinking my, the Mick, uh, the Mick <laughs> paraphrase would have said something like, "Hell no." Hell no. So, how does Paul land the plane on what the law truly does regarding sin and us? Yeah. So again, the the law does something different, and it, it, it basically shows us that we're sinners. 
and it shows us that God is holy. So that is different than saying this is what it what it means to be saved. Mm. He uses a strong word. It, 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 we're captive. Yeah, it's like we're we're like enslaved to this law. Yeah. It's we have we uh, imprisoned. Verse twenty two. Yeah, it's hard to say a scripture imprisons anybody. Yeah, but the law imprisons us under sin. So it's like we, the, if all we have is the law, we're 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 like we were like in in, in shackles. We yeah. we can't go anywhere. We're imprisoned and, and captive. The law holds us accountable. It does. It really does. It holds us accountable. So that's really that's all. So if, but 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 I but I like that because because in verse twenty one, Paul Paul kind of throws them a bone for just one moment. He says, mm-hmm. okay, we'll, we'll we'll take your argument that the law could give life, but. It can't give life. So if, if if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So he's, he was he was tolerating their argument that you yeah. can be righteous by the law, but the law doesn't give life. Yeah. All it does is give more handcuffs right. and just shackles you. It, yeah. it doesn't ever un, un, unshackle you. It yeah. never provides the hope. It's like he's saying, okay, here's the law. Work your salvation out. Let me see you do it. Let's see oh, what no, happens. You can't. You can't. It's like a labyrinth. You, you keep losing yourself further and further. So what hope does Christ give law in prison centers? Because there's a lot, none of us are listening going, I can't do it on my own anymore. Everything I try fails. I just can't provide my, every, I have no hope in me. I can't do it. What hope does Christ offer those of us who are in prison under the law? The hope that he gives us is that he was able to do it because he, he was God and man at the same time. Um, he was able to do it. He was able to fulfill the law in ways that no mere mortal could. And in doing so, he's able to deliver on the promise that was made to Abraham. We can't be justified under the law, but, but good news, verse 24, in order that we might be justified by faith. Mm-hmm. Once again, there it is. The righteous doesn't live by the law. The righteous lives by faith. Amen. Faith is something that is not my effort. It is God's effort. And me yeah. trusting in God's effort. So the either or again is right there. If it's about my efforts, it's only going to land to anxiety and captive. Yeah. And I can't get past that no matter what. And yeah, there was this, he mentions this guardian. And in, in, in Paul's day, it was like a pedagogue, I believe the Greek word was. It was this, it was this person in the Roman world that existed to kind of help raise the kids, mm-hmm. but they didn't really teach. It was just kind of, if I understand it correctly, they existed just to have a negative influence, like d- discipline only, right? Like bad, bad. That, that was what I primarily understood. Correct, as well. you're correcting yeah. everybody. So the law does that really well. Yes. It corrects us, like, yup, you haven't kept me, yep. and you are a sinner, and you have done this, and nope, you have not, you've broken God's command, and, and so that's the whole thing. The the law exists in like that Greco-Roman guardian. Yeah. Just revealing in us, and it doesn't really teach us. It doesn't give us much hope. It just keeps saying, "Nope, you haven't kept it," and you think you're doing well, great. It, te- it teaches us on a, a negative way, you know, but because we get in trouble, so we'd like to think that we learn something along the way. But yeah, it doesn't. It's not per se really out to teach us, so much as it is out to correct us. So he's putting in that point in verse twenty-four. The law yeah. has played its role. Yeah. But now we turn to we now turn by faith. We, there's only so much more turning we can do to the law. That's yes. it. It's played its role. Now we turn to Christ, and the the guardian. It was the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith, which will never happen under the law. Right. It can only happen with Jesus. Okay, so twenty five to twenty. Let's let's close this out here, and it's just like a hard closing here, but we'll do it. Twenty five to twenty nine. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you were ba as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Mic drop. Yep. There it is. He finally lands the plane there. So walking through this, make it looks like number one, no longer are they under that guardian, but they're, they're, now, they're now considered full sons. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine what that would have sounded like? And, 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 if I remember correctly, it, it's in Romans uh, where it says, and if sons, heirs. Heirs. Of an inheritance. I mean, they're hearing all these influencers in their life saying, you're not, you're not Jewish enough, so how can you be Christian mm -hmm. enough? It's a hold on here. Yeah. I am no longer under that guardian of the law. Yeah. I'm now full son. So I've now reached that maturity. I don't need that guardian and anymore. And he's telling this to the Galatians, and he's mm -hmm. reminding the Jews baptized into Christ. So now we can put Christ on as our identity. And that's just a great reminder. Are you putting Christ on? Is, is that is he your identity? Yeah. This uh, Paul will speak about this in Colossians. You, you, you put off the former you and you put on the new you. Mm -hmm. So we get to put on Christ. He's now our identity. Yeah. That's, that's deeper than any passport or any, right. any, anything you have in your wallet or purse that describes who you are. No, you belong to Christ. You, he is now your identity. We learn here that previous identities no longer define us ultimately. So he mentions Jew and Greek and slave and free, male or female. What are some other ones that the way our culture likes to divide us, Mick? Ooh. Male and female is a big one. I can imagine maybe race. Yeah, race like, being... Like you and I are different races yeah. right now. We have different culture, heritage, but yeah. we're the same in Christ. Yeah. You know, I guess... I mean, he's basically saying that... That all the previous identifiers are secondary, and they matter infinitely less than being in Christ. In mm. Christ should be our greatest identity. In Christ should be the identity that trumps all other identities. Mm. You know, Amen. Um, the fact that I am what politicians refer to me as a minority because I'm Mexican and Puerto Rican, that doesn't play into Christ. At all, I, I'm like Western European potpourri. There, there you go. <laughs> I mean, but. And he's not saying that these identities are not important. Right. What he is saying, though, is that when it comes to God, everybody has equal access to him, is what he's saying. Who we now, have in common is more yeah. important than what we have not in common. Yeah. I mean, when he's talking about Jew or Gentile, these are important identifiers. Mm. And he's not knocking it. When he's talking about slave or free, and he, he'll talk about this in, in other letters, the importance of the role of the slave versus, versus the master. You know, He'll talk about the, the, the role of the man versus the role of the woman. It doesn't mean we still have the same function, but it means that we have the same dignity. That's what it's what he's getting to. Mm. And in Christ, Christ is the big equalizer in all of this. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine him if, if it's written today, maybe seeming like neither black nor white, mm -hmm. or yeah. some shade of brown or something. None, none of that is is. It, and it's sad when we as Christians allow these things to become those mm. things. Mm. That's the problem. When we as Christians allow those things, when we allow things like our socioeconomic status mm. to define us or to divide us, mm. those are horrible things. And, 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 it, and it begs the question, do you understand what it means to be in Christ? And if you are Christ, verse 29, mm -hmm. then you are Abraham's offspring. Yeah. Because now he brings the singular back to the plural. Yeah, you know, it's like remember he said he didn't say offsprings; he said offspring. He's yeah. speaking about Jesus, but now, now he brings us to the more corporate yeah. sense yeah. that we now can be a part of that. 
because I didn't, I didn't even think about that till right now. It's like he brings it back to now that not just Christ. Now we get to play a role, yeah. not play. We get to join. We get to be a part of that. We get to be in Christ. And he, again, he's we're now His offspring. And I and I like the wording here. Very cool. Then you are Abraham's seed. Mm. He still has it in the singular sense, but it's the idea of unity, though. Amen. It's unity that in in the many there is one. You know, we got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, yet one God who will always act the same no matter what. We get to be heirs of Abraham's promise back from Genesis. Mm -hmm. That not only speaks in the gospel sense of, of Jesus, but now by faith mm -hmm. to us. Not by our heritage. Mm -hmm. Not by how we conform to some standard or works. And not by our past either. Not by our past. How liberating this is. Yeah. Big time. But by faith. Well, closing thoughts, Professor D, on this either-or struggles. Is there anything more we can say oh, about well, this? My closing thoughts are this. I find a lot of comfort in knowing that, you know, being that we are Gentile Christians. There might be Jewish listeners in, in our in our audience, but we most of us are Gentile Christians. And I like the fact that we are not an afterthought of God's salvation plan. Mm. We're like, oh, well, since the Jews rejected me, I vey, Amen. Well, I'm going to have to settle for the Gentiles. No. We were there all along. And I like the fact that it's right there in Genesis. Again, going back to the fact that the first promise of the Messiah is pre-Abraham. The fact that even in Abraham, once he does establish Abraham, he makes sure that he doesn't leave the rest of us out. Mm. He still kept us in the, in, in the loop. You know? And I think that that's, that's very big, especially because I'm not a Jew. You wow. know? And I love my Jewish brothers. But the fact is, I'm not a Jew. You know, we know a lot of Jews who are Christians now. You know, because they they understand that Jesus is the Messiah, you know, and, and, and I think that's wonderful. But again, the other thing is that, and we talked about this in the previous weeks, but that we, the fact that we're not Jews, we're still saved. We're no less saved than Jews who are saved. Okay. And we're not second class Christians. We're not second class Christians in the least. And that would have meant something oh, yeah. to the Galatian readers. Oh, yeah. Who were being, being made to feel like they were second class yeah. because they didn't have Moses. All right. they had was Jesus. And, and, that, and that's all they can have. Right. And, and, and always, you know, I, I, I am so grateful that, that, that I don't have to work for something that I can't work for. That mm. there's nothing I can really do. And I, and I praise God for that. Because, again, the more and more we have to take inventory of our lives. And we have to be honest and not try to give ourselves a free pass. When we look at God, can we really honestly say we can earn his favor? And the, and the answer is an emphatic no. There's mm. nothing I can do. And, and, and the older I've gotten, I'd like to think wiser too, the more I realize that I can't do this. The more I realize that I really need God for this. Mm. Amen. And I praise him for his grace. I really do. Amazing grace means more and more to me the older I get. Where I, where I land the plane, where I kind of st took off the plane today, too. We have one hope, mm -hmm. and that is to fully rely on God. Yeah. And that's it. You can't rely on yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, God expects obedience from you, but, but but God also provides for that obedience. Yeah. And those of you who face temptation, God provides a way out. And God expects you to fully rely on Him. And that we're not saved by our own efforts. We're not sanctified by just our own efforts by themselves. We have no help on our own. Fully rely on God. Thanks for joining us tonight with Galatians chapter 3. We continue next week. 
This has been Big Rev. And this is Professor D. I cannot wait for till chapter four, man. All right. Again, this has been Masterclass Theology. God bless. Bye. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.